Very good, beloved. Hope everybody's doing well. What I want to do today is suspend, just for today, this Sunday, the uh, studies in Acts. And, uh, and I want to just spend some time talking about this, this point of making sure of heaven. You know, I think about what's, what's my ultimate, ultimately what is my role, what is my purpose, what am I called for, what am I told to do as a child of God and certainly as a, a pastor, teacher of a church, is to teach that which God has taught us. So God leaves us the Bible in order that we may get to know God, understand who Jesus is, what he did, what he taught. And then we're told to teach that to other people and to go all around the world and share the gospel, the good news of salvation, so that other people can get to know God, be part of God's family and honor and glorify Him forever. And so even though that's what we do as we go verse by verse, section by section in in Acts, and consequently eventually the rest of the Bible, I want to make sure that we stop today and just kind of Touch on this subject, which is the main subject, making sure of heaven. And what does that mean? What does that entail? So part of it is, yes, the fact that my dad uh, went to be with the Lord. Again, that just brings home the fact that we always talk about this, right? Any of us can go at any time. And that's a reality. That's true. But when it happens, and most of you knew my dad, you know, it's just, you, you're kind of shaking up a little bit and... and my responsibility and privilege to, to share the gospel uh, reignites. Uh, so I, I just want to make sure, take the time today to talk about this, you know, to share the gospel with everybody. Because if there's one thing that I'm sure that I would want for people to, to have is that assurance of salvation. Everything else falls into place after that. And sometimes as a preacher, as a leader... You, you may take it for granted that as you experience and have that assurance that everybody else does. And that's not the case. You know, sometimes we hear things or we talk to people and we realize, wow, this per- I thought this person understood certain things and maybe they don't. Or we assume that, hey, every, you know, everybody in our church that walks into those doors is on their way to heaven. And that would be certainly my hope. That would be wonderful. But I think the reality is many of us are in different stages in our lives. Uh, and for one reason or another, not all of us are always on the same page. So at least today I want to make sure that we all are on the same page as to why would somebody like my dad be so bold as to say, I know that if I leave this earth today, I will be in the presence of God forever in his glory. Like, what gives a person that right? I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I've spoken to several people, and I tell them that, I know I'm going to heaven. And the first reaction is, oh, wow, you think you're that good? And then I go to explain, no, it's not about me being good. It's about Christ has done for me. And then you get that confused look. They don't understand. But that's the gospel. So we want to share that today. And what I want to do is I want to read in Titus chapter 3. I was reading Titus, 
And uh, let me talk a couple of things about this, this short letter to Titus. Paul's the author, and we're studying about Paul, right, in Acts? What he did, what he taught, what he went through. And so here, Titus, you know, sometimes we, 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 we read about how, you know, the Apostle Paul had a, a group of people with him. And the cool thing is that Titus was one of these people, like Timothy, that would often travel and do the work alongside Paul. So keep that in mind. Timothy was a, apparently a young man uh, who most likely heard the gospel through Paul, became a believer, follower, disciple, co-worker of Paul, and he, he demonstrated genuine faith so that Paul had to trust to leave him in certain places and he would leave Titus in uh, certain places where there was congregations in order that he may establish elders, leaderships within congregations. So certainly he had the discernment and the knowledge to be able to do that and Paul trusted him with that. So he's a pretty outstanding individual that worked alongside Paul. And Paul was able to see his faith, the reality of his faith. And so somewhere along the second or third, uh, right around AD 60 to 62 is what I read on this, Paul writes his short letter, three chapters, to Titus, who is now a, a, a pastor, uh, or often he would be the guy, if there's if something wrong at a, at a certain congregation, he would send Titus. It's like, Titus, you know, there's something going wrong over, wrong over there in East L.A., in Corinth, or in Ephesus, why don't you go ahead and take care of those problems over there? So it was a pretty cool guy. And so Paul writes this letter, and it's known as a pastoral letter because Titus was a pastor, along much like uh, Timothy, a pastoral letter. So he's telling, he's telling Titus how to go about uh, you know, taking care of the flock, so it's, it's really, I mean, if you read the whole letter, it'll take you, what, 15 minutes max? I, I encourage you to do that. And we're just going to focus on chapter 3. We might go back a little bit to chapter 2. And I wanna, don't want to take too much time, so, so let's get right to it. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's read it, and then we're going to go back and take a look. If you have a bulletin, you know that the title of this morning's message is Make Sure of Heaven. And you'll also see that our three points that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about God's worthiness. God's worthiness. Man's wretchedness and Christ's gracious work. I believe we can give a, uh, a presentation of the gospel when we touch on these three things. God's worthiness, man's wretchedness, and Christ's gracious work. Paul says to Titus, chapter 3, verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey to be ready for every good work. If you read Titus, find out and underline how many times Paul, in three chapters, mentions good works. Of course, it will never be in relation to your salvation. He never says, do good works so that you can be saved. Never. He says, if you're saved, then be sure that you're constantly involved in good works. So that your faith is not just by word. You're not just telling people, God bless you but you're actually doing. You know, we read about during the introduction to Acts how Luke in his gospel says, 
here's, here's a rendition, here's a narrative of everything that Jesus began both to teach and to do. The Lord was constantly ever involved in not just teaching, but in doing. And here Paul reminds us, as Paul was too, right? He didn't just sit back and preach. He did the work. So he says, remind them, the people under you, or that, that you have to pastor to be ready for every good work. And let me say this in relation to Sochi. We've been talking about Sochi a lot, right? Uh, and for some of us, I understand. I've been in that place where it's like, oh, who's that? I don't even know who that is. Never heard of her. I never met her. And it's, it's kind of over there. But I, I'm, I'm really proud that, that as a church we've decided to, to take this on and, and help her. We don't know if the help that she's asking is what God would want. But one thing we do know is that we don't want our faith just to be by word only. And if somebody's in need, we want to, and we have the, the privilege and opportunity to help, we want to step in and do something. Hopefully to honor God. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Beloved, this section, I, I love this section. This is so rich. And I believe the three points that we're going to talk about this morning are, are in here. And I want to try to relate that with my dad's life. Because again, even as a kid, I was able to see the gospel in front of me with my dad. And it's not just to say, oh, my dad was great. It's to say, we need to be that way, beloved. We need to be that way. If we pretend or we claim, and if we are children of God, then we ought to live that way. We shouldn't confuse people. There's a song by Casting Crown says, people are not confused by the gospel, they're confused by us. <laughs> Why? Because we say something and then we act differently. And they're like, wait, I thought you were, what? Well, but that doesn't make sense. There's a disconnect. And I'm not saying my dad was perfect. He wasn't. Uh, but again, one thing he did was he had a, a, a true, living, genuine faith toward God. So, Let's, let's, take a, let's take a look at our first point, God's worthiness. To do that, uh, take a, a, for me, it's one page back to chapter 2. I believe the gospel and everything really begins with God. You know, chapter 1, verse 1 in Genesis. In the beginning, what? In the beginning, God. It all starts with Him. And it's all about Him. And so the gospel begins with him and his worthiness, very related to his holiness, the value that he has 
is infinite. When we say that God is worthy, it's because he is. You know, again, when Moses asks God, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And Jesus says, God says, I am who I am. Tell him I am sent me. I am. You are what? He's like, I'm everything. I am that I am. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I'm not going anywhere. I just am. We could talk a lot about that, but it speaks of God's worthiness, his worth, his value. And it's more than we could ever imagine. Look at chapter 2 in Titus, verse 13. Let's read from 11 in case we don't go back to it. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Speaking of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's other portions in the Bible that, that speak of His worthiness, His glory. In Revelation, we might go there, in Isaiah. But I just want to take as much as I can just here from this little portion. And the Apostle Paul says, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. His glory speaks also of His worth and weight. Glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, God is worthy. And the gospel begins with that. And the Lord Jesus Christ over and over would say that. You know, he would say, he would tell people that wanted to follow him. He wanted to make sure that people understood that he was worthy. He would say, if you're not willing to leave your father and mother, guess what? You're not worthy of me. What was he saying? I'm worth more than anything and anyone else. If you're not willing to give up your riches, your hopes and dreams, then you're not worthy of me. Why? The Lord would say, because I'm worth infinitely more than anything else. God's worthiness is how we begin. Too many of us have a limited view. All of us have a limited view. But before we come to Christ, we, we, you know, we, we say things, we think things that are just ridiculous. We think that God is there for us. We say things like, especially in our Spanish culture, uh, El Niñito Dios for Christmas. Or we see him crucified still hanging on the cross. And we think in our mind that that's him. There's images in our walls. And we we imagine that he's like that. And he's not. He's infinitely greater than anything we could ever imagine. That's what he says. Don't make for yourselves any carved image. Because nothing is ever going to begin to describe my worthiness. Take a look at Revelation. From beginning to end, God's worthiness is shown. His glory, His majesty. But I want to go to the future in Revelation and just read a couple of verses of what heaven is going to be like because that's where my dad is right now. You know, I was trying to explain that to my kids last night. We sat down and we read from chapter 14 in John and they seem to be taking it well, but I want to be conscious and keep talking about it. And 
give them an opportunity to express themselves and all that and grieve. And, um, and that's, where the, that's where my dad is with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is, so that where I am, there you may be also. Where is heaven? Where Jesus is. You want to know exactly where it's at? Want me to point at it? I can't. And I don't want to. I don't need to. Where am I going to spend eternity? Next to Jesus Christ. Wherever he is, that's where I'll be. That's where I want to be. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. We get some amazing descriptions of what heaven is like here by, by John, the apostle. He was given an opportunity to get a glimpse and take a look. And he tries to describe as best he can here. So, Revelations, last, chap, last book of the Bible, chapter 4, verse 11. We're in the throne room of heaven. We're around God's presence in heaven. This is where uh, you know, uh, angels are described and they're flying around. They, they're covering themselves in God's glory and they're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. The angels say that. And then the 24 elders, so Revelation chapter 4, verse 9, speaking of God's worthiness, says, Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, all of these are amazing descriptions of who God is. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you, why is he worthy? For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. He's the owner. You know, chapter 5, it talks about the scroll. And nobody, who's worthy to open up the scroll, the grand deed of, of, of the universe. And, and they're, they're asking around, who's worthy to open up the scrolls? And everybody's looking around. Everybody's like, no, not me, not me. Any angel? No. Any other 24 elders, creatures? No, nobody's worthy to open up the scroll. But chapter 5. <coughs> verse 1. Let me just read that real quick. Just try to get a glimpse. It says, chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven nor on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. John says, So I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or take a look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. He's like, wait a minute. No, no, there is one worthy to open the scroll. Don't cry. Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. Remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Jesus Christ himself. Having seven horns and seven eyes, 
which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's going to read a couple of verses more. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, look at the song that they sang. You are worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. All that to say, beloved. God's worthiness. Those of us here on earth have a. Slight idea. We understand that he created everything by faith. We understand that. We believe it. But in heaven, when they're looking at the Lamb, when they're experiencing all this majestic scenery and activity, to know that all the angels, the 24 elders, the living creatures, they all bow down and say the same thing. You, O Lord, are worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of everything, beloved. Worthy of everything. That's the God that we believe in and we serve. It's not this little God that doesn't care. It's the everlasting, true, living, holy, perfect, pure God that is worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor. And that's how the gospel begins, beloved. If that's the God that we believe in, if that's the God that we trust, if that's the God that we worship and say we have a relationship with, if we, if we get that glimpse, we understand at least a little bit of God's worthiness, then you understand man's wretchedness. You, underst- you know, it said you can't understand God's holiness until you understand your sin And you really can't understand your sin until you understand God's holiness. And you might be thinking like, well, that's a little redundant. Which one goes first? Don't worry, buddy. God gives you both. It's the best I can tell you. God will convict you of your sin and will let you know what a wretched man, woman you are. And God will open your understanding and give you the illumination to understand at least a little bit his greatness, his worthiness, and his holiness. But it has to happen. You have to understand God's worthiness. And in doing that, you will understand your wretchedness. And, and, and don't feel bad. Oh, you, you're calling me wretched? Yeah, the Bible does. God does. And Paul says that of himself, so don't worry. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I love the uh, Amazing Grace hymn, Right? Of course, I'm drawing a blank right now as I'm trying to sing it to you. But amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the what? A wretch like me, John Newton. And it's not because he was a slave trader that he was a wretch. He was a wretch because he was a sinner. And in compared to God's holiness, all of us, beloved, are wretched. What do you mean? Turn back to Titus. Who were we? 
Who are we without Christ? Who were we with Christ? Look at verse, verse 3. You know, Paul's telling Timothy, teach this. And tell your people to teach it to others. But don't forget who you were. Don't forget the people that you were, the manner of your life, he says. He's basically saying, don't forget how wretched you were. Verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. Deceived. Serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. Let me sum it up by saying, wretched. Wretched, beloved. Without God, deceived. We were wretched, and yet we thought we were okay. Until God gives us the understanding of His worthiness and holiness, and then we realize, my goodness. Like Isaiah would say, get, or Peter, get away from me, Lord. When you, when you get a glimpse of God's holiness, you want to hide from that. You realize you're doomed. You're done. I can't stand in front of this glory. I can't stand in front of God's presence. He will consume me. And when you begin to think that way, God says, ah, now we're getting somewhere. Now you're understanding a little bit of who I am. Now you're understanding that you're not worthy of me. Now you understand that my glory will consume you. When you understand God's worthiness, man's wretchedness, and when you're there, spiritually speaking, afraid, knowing that you've offended a holy and perfect God with your life, when you begin to understand that your best deeds are dirty rags, filthiness, and you try to hide from God, you realize there's only one plea. And that's Christ's gracious work. No one will ever stand in front of God and even dare open their mouths to say, but I was a good person. When you get a glimpse of God's glory, you will realize instantly how wretched you are, how wretched I am. And our only plea is Christ's blood. His gracious work, beloved. What he did at the cross. That's it. Why should I let you in? You really shouldn't. But here Jesus Christ died for me. And it's only his love, it's only his grace that he decided to manifest his love in that while we're yet, yet, yet sinners, wretched sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, it's never been about religion. It's never been about following a set of rules. For through the deeds of the law, no man shall be saved. Your trust, 
better not be on anything other than Christ's gracious work. It better not be on your deeds. It better not be on your religion. It better not be on your parents' faith. It better not be on your culture. Christ and Christ alone. And because he's worthy, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It's only me. It's always been about me. And it can only be about me, God says. So everything else, you put away. You know, my dad has a testimony of having been very religious in his Roman Catholic faith. And I believe he was a sincere man, even since, since he was a young man. He wanted to know about God. And he asked questions. But he knows. He always knew there was a little something fishy, something missing from his cultural religiousness. And when it was explained to him and God opened his understanding, he left all of that behind, beloved. He left all of that behind. And many times my dad would get in trouble. <laughs> you know, we just finished uh, the book of Jeremiah. How Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. For 40 years, he prophesied and he spoke in behalf of God, saying, judgment is coming, repent, get back to the things of God. And the people never paid attention. Judgment is coming, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are coming. Nah. And the Chaldeans came, and they destroyed the temple, and they took them captive. And you might think, well, Jeremiah seems like he lived a pretty... You know, unsuccessful life. And no, he didn't. Because people ultimately never repented until Jeremiah died. He was called as a youth, rejected by all practically, thrown in jail because he was inconveniencing everybody and always had this negative report from God. But Jeremiah, we don't know exactly when and how he died. But he lived and all the way till he died doing one thing, and that is being faithful to God and telling people not what they wanted to hear, but what God wanted to tell them. And he was never popular for it. And he wept for his people. And his people never repented. But that doesn't negate or minimize Jeremiah's successful life. Beloved, we may not be the greatest thing on earth. The next big thing in our society. And you shouldn't want to, frankly. We should want God to be that. And our job is to proclaim the gospel. And my dad did that. When he knew the truth, he forsook all. His religiosity, everything that was involved in that. It wasn't Jesus Christ and the virgin. It wasn't Jesus and good works. It wasn't Jesus and the sacraments. He understood that Jesus was enough. And that's what Jesus says. I am enough. Don't compare me. Don't add me to the list. He says, I am it. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, although you may die, you will live. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am. I am. I am that I am. Jesus and only Jesus, beloved. Don't get confused with that. Make sure of heaven. Study your Bible. Examine your life. Live with the assurance, beloved, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's how my dad lived. That's how he died. 
That's where he is. And it's all because of Christ's, Christ's gracious work. And I hope that you experience that. I hope that you have that assurance, that certainty. If you're sitting there thinking like, what's he talking about? How could he be so sure? Beloved, I know that if I die today, I will be in the presence of God. And he won't be my judge. He will be my father. Because he judged my sin at the cross. I don't expect to someday make it to heaven. I am in God's kingdom. I am a child of God. Now and forever. My faith is in Christ and Christ alone. Not on anything that I did. And not because of my dad's faith. But because Christ chose to reveal himself to me. And I hope to live a life of good works. A life that reflects God's worthiness. That my wretchedness is ever, every day, less and less as he purifies me through his word. That my kids could see in me that assurance of heaven and that consistency of not only does he preach on Sundays, but every other day he's the same guy. And he loves the Lord. And he loves people because God loves people. And he studies the word because he wants to teach others. I'm telling you, my dad didn't have much to show for. 70 years of life and hard work, physically speaking. But boy, he left a legacy for my brothers and for all of us who knew him to follow. And that's what we want for everybody else. May the Lord bless you. If you aren't sure of heaven, if a message like this confuses you, please talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to one of the elders, teachers. We will be more than willing to talk to you about why I am sure of heaven and why they are sure of heaven. All right? Let's stand and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this wonderful day. As I personally make remembrance of the fact that my dad was reached and saved by you, I thank you. All of us who knew him are grateful for the life that you gave him and for the faith that you gave him. For the example that he was of one who loved you, your word, and your people. Who sought your kingdom and your righteousness above all, Father. That we may be like that. That we may be like your son. Father, if anybody is here today not sure of their salvation, if anybody is still here depending on themselves, their religion or their works, intervene, Father. Illuminate them. That your Holy Spirit may do a mighty, wonderful work in their lives through your gospel that they too may bring glory and honor forever to you, for you are worthy. I thank you for our brothers and sisters. I ask that you dismiss us with your blessing, for we pray all in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen. All right, beloved, you are dismissed. God bless you.